Tasting the 
promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. Still in your hands, this is my confidence. Are you glad to be here this morning? Good deal. Uh, Bailey, at this time, if you'll come forward. We want to baptize little Bailey Tucker. I had the opportunity to meet with her and her dad and her three other siblings. Let's do this right here. In, uh, in my office this week. And she was a little nervous because she didn't know what to say to the pastor. She didn't know what, how to answer the pastor. Let's go ahead and sit right there. Turn around. Turn around for me. Sorry, I'm, not, I'm making it more confusing, aren't I? There you go. We want them to see your lovely face there. So. But anyways, you know, she's nervous about how to answer, and you know, I love, I love the faith of a seven-year-old girl. I was trying to make her eight years old, and she corrected me a few times, but she's seven. And just ask her the questions, you know, why are we doing this, and what do you think it means, and just to walk through that uh, with her, and to, you know, as a pastor, to know that you're uh, not just baptizing them because they want to, but they understand why uh, we're doing that to the best of their ability um, at seven years of age. And so uh, it is uh, my privilege to be able to baptize uh, Bailey this morning. Uh, because of her faith. And so, baby, I'm going to ask you a couple questions, like I told you in my office. So, have you placed your faith in Jesus? And do you want to follow him as a disciple? Okay. Well, because of that public profession of faith and obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in his death. <laughs> Raised to walk with him in a new life. I just want to just make a special announcement and just say I am thrilled and happy to have uh, joined the staff of Living Water officially today, my good friends, David and Lori Bagwell. So uh, let's give them a good welcome here to Living Water. Um, I'm actually pretty pumped about it. So in March of 2001, I left Canyon and went to work, went on staff at First Baptist Church in Liberal, Kansas, where David was the pastor. Um, and I served there for two years, and we developed a really good relationship. Uh, there's a lot of honor in this when you put the two of us together, and there were a few pranks uh, that, that happened often. And, uh, and I just enjoyed my time there developing some good relationships with some great people. The cool thing about it is when I left there in March of 03 to come back here to pastor my first church, uh, that connection stayed there. And it was so important to me because I value our friendship. I value the wisdom and just the support I've gotten from David uh, for, for many years. And, and I'd hoped um, a long time ago as the church was growing, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we can get us back together again? <laughs> It'd be fun, right? 
And so whenever I got that opportunity, um, as Justin moved down to Tyler, I started praying about it and thought, you know, I'm going to approach David and see if this is something that he'd be willing to do. And I'm grateful that he's joining the team uh, here at Living Water. And I believe uh, there's some, some great things in store for us moving forward. So be intentional. Uh, get to know David and Lori. Uh, they're, they're a great couple. Uh, they have three daughters, Allison, Ashley, and Amber, all three married. And they just have their, their first grandbaby three months ago. Um, and so they're just enjoying life, the empty nest. Uh, new home, get moved here to Canyon. So let's make them feel welcome and get to know them uh, because they'll be a, an asset to the church and uh, to our families here as well. Glad y'all are here. About time, right? We've been working on this for a while. So if you have your Bibles open with me to Mark chapter 2, I want to share a message entitled, uh, Whatever It Takes. Mark chapter 2. You know, we're living in some crazy times. Uh, I think it's an understatement for today. But there's a lot of changes, too. And if you're like me, I don't like change. I don't like a lot of change. I get into these patterns, and I'm getting these routines, and whenever it gets changed, uh, for me, that's difficult. I have a hard time adjusting to that change. Maybe you're the same way. And we have a lot of changes here lately, don't we, because of COVID? Um, I mean, we, we, it's changed the way we do education. It's changed the way we do um, our greeting of, of other people. It's changed the way we do corporate worship. It's, it's changed the way we, we shop at the grocery store. I'm still struggling with the right way and the wrong way aisles at Walmart. And I get these people mean mugging me because I'm on the wrong way. And I, I turn around and act like I was right the whole time. Just like, no big deal. Struggling with the, the, the remembering the mask. Or how many of you have done this this week? Uh, you, you've gone to the store of, of a restaurant or, to, you know, just whatever, the door of a, a store or restaurant, and you realize that you forgot your mask, and you had to turn around and go back to your vehicle to get it. Am I the only one? Okay, thank you for making me not feel like an idiot. But the reason that we do that is because it's change. There's a lot of changes uh, going on around us, and whenever we get a lot of change, uh, it, sometimes we just feel like things are not stable. But I, I'm here to tell you and declare to you today that there are still some great things that do not change. Number one, God does not change. Hallelujah. I say God does not change. For some of you, you need to know that this morning. God is still the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, he does not change. His mercy is still the same. Mercy is grace. It's still the same grace. His forgiveness, his holiness, everything about him has not changed. And that should be very uh, encouraging to us as a church this morning. Amen? But I was considering about some of the things that don't change uh, and where my heart led me to this passage today. Um, there, there are a few other things that don't change. Number one is there are still a multitude of people that live on this planet Earth uh, that do not know Jesus, that, that are not in a personal relationship with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many people still on this Earth that are lost. Agreed? That's one thing that's not changed. Another thing that has not changed is our mission. We are still called to make disciples. Matthew 28, Jesus gave that command, and that still um, is very much a deal for us. We are still on mission. We are still the hands and the feet of Jesus. That has not changed. We are still supposed to make disciples of people. And a third thing that has not changed, and I kind of alluded to it a little ago, is God has not changed. And because God has not changed, he is still the answer to the needs that this world has. Would you agree with that statement? He still has the answers. He's still able to forgive. He's still able to heal. He's still able to restore. He is just as powerful as he's ever been and because of those truths, if all those things have not changed, do we have the confidence enough to know that he's not changed? And if we have the confidence to know that, okay, there's still a lot of people that don't know Christ, there's still a lot of people that need him, um, and they may be believers that just need some Jesus, they need some encouragement, they're going through a difficult time in life, 
And if it's true that we're still on mission, we're still the hands and the feet of Jesus, and if it's true that he is still the source, the answer to their needs, then here's the question for you and me this morning. Are we, based on that absolute confidence that he is able, are we willing to do whatever it takes to bring someone to Jesus? I want you to just think about that question for a moment. Are we willing to do whatever it takes to bring someone to Jesus? So Mark chapter 2 is one of the many miracles that Jesus performed. Um, it's also paralleled over in Luke chapter 5, so if you want to read that later. But it's a great story of one of those miracles. And we see that these four men did whatever it would take to get a paralyzed man into the presence of Jesus. So if you don't mind, I want to pray one more time before we read it, and then we'll just kind of dig into the Scriptures. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, your word is truth. Now, you said your word would not return into your void. It's going to go out and accomplish what you sent it to do. So my prayer is that you would accomplish in our hearts what you want for us today. Let us not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Let us be changed, Lord, by the, the transformation of our, our hearts and our minds today. Through your word, I ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. So whatever it takes, Jesus is ministering in this town called Capernaum. And Jesus starts ministering there because he was pushed away from his hometown of Nazareth. Remember, Jesus said a prophet has no honor in his own country, and so he moves from his hometown of Nazareth to Capernaum, and he begins to do ministry. In fact, a lot of the miracles Jesus performed were around the Sea of Galilee in that region. And so because Jesus has already performed some miracles, he's healed people, he's cast out demons, many people were healed, um, his fame uh, became known throughout the region. And there, it says everyone knew um, what Jesus had done. In verse 28 of chapter 1, it says, The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. So the whole region, they knew who this Jesus was and they knew what he had been doing. Uh, and later he heals a man with leprosy and he says, Hey, don't tell anyone. The man goes out and tells everybody. Uh, it says, But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. And then chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. So uh, there are many people, many different areas. Uh, Luke chapter 5 says from different regions, different towns, and they all were where Jesus was at. Jesus was in the home of what we believe was Simon Peter, um, Simon Peter's home in Capernaum, and Jesus was there, and so everybody was just where Jesus was at. Why? Because they had heard so many cool things about Jesus. Jesus was doing many things. In fact, Luke 5 says that um, God's healing was with Jesus in a big way. I mean, he was just really doing a lot of great miracles. It says in verse 2, soon the house where he was staying was so packed. Now, first off, I'm kind of confused here because in our culture today, we're like, don't come into my house, dude. I didn't invite you, right? You just see your way out. But in their day, it was no big deal to have people from all over the place just showing up. And they were in the house, and it says the, the house was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. Now, Jesus is teaching them. Um, he's preaching God's word to them. It says, while he was preaching God's word, verse 3, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, we don't know if this man was a friend. We don't know if it was a man just was laying on the side of the road and they were on their way to listen to Jesus and just picked him up and took him, took them, or him with them. We don't know how far they carried this man on the mat. We don't know how long he was in that condition. There's a lot of things we don't know. We just know that Jesus is in this house teaching, and four men show up carrying a paralyzed man. Now, this is where the story kind of gets interesting to me because I know how I'm wired, and I know how culture is, is we don't want to inconvenience anyone. 
And so I, I pull up on a house that's loaded with people, uh, and I realize it's packed. I'm probably going to say, hey, man, I'm sorry. Um, this is obviously not the day. It's not going to happen. There's just You see the people, right? We can't get in. So let's just try another day. Uh, let's come back again tomorrow. That's the way I'm wired. I don't want to inconvenience anyone. And maybe you're the same way. You're like, I would have given up then, but not these four guys. It says the four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they couldn't bring him to Jesus. That's what they wanted. They had heard that Jesus was able. They had heard that he was healing all these people. They were absolutely convinced and confident in Jesus' ability to heal the man on the mat, so much so that they were going to bring him to Jesus. It says when they got there and the place was packed, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they, they didn't turn around and go home. They didn't say, hey, today's not your day. It says they dug a hole through the roof above his head. I have so many questions. They dug a hole on the roof above his head. Simon Peter's a hothead. I mean, if you read your Bible. Peter's got a temper problem. If it was in Simon Peter's house, I'm like, hey, what are you doing? I'm just wondering what's going on as they're hearing footsteps on the top of this roof. You know, in their day, those Palestinian roofs were, were thick. They had had the walls that would support some main beams, and they might have like a bamboo or a thatch that went across that, and then, a, and then they would layer that with a mud um, composite that would turn like into clay real hard, and it would shed the rain. And so this was no easy task. And so what went through their minds, what caused them to think, oh, you know, I got an idea. We can't get in the door because it's so packed. Let's go on the roof and tear it up. And so they go on the roof, and they begin to dismantle the roof. And not just a little hole to say, hey, Jesus, could, you, uh, could we have your attention for a second? But a hole big enough to lower the man that's on the mat down through the roof into the presence of Jesus. I, I said, I got so many questions. I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of debris falling from the roof. I'm sure that there was a little bit of noise going on. It's probably a little bit dusty. Um, I'm sure that they were like, what is, Peter, what's going on on your roof, dude? It's, it's, it's noisy up there. And, and Jesus is teaching the word. I would be heavily distracted. But these men didn't let an obstacle keep them from what they knew in their hearts with absolute confidence that Jesus was able to heal their friend. They wouldn't let that stand in their way, and so they began digging through the roof. Whatever it takes. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head, then they lowered the man on his mat. Could you just imagine being in that room and seeing this man being lowered, probably four ropes, each corner of the mat, fishing ropes that were probably laying somewhere close, and, and lowering this man through a hole in front of the whole crowd and in Jesus. Can you imagine what a day that would have been? It says, seeing their faith, say there. So whose faith did Jesus see? <clears throat> he saw their faith. You know, there's a lot of places in Scripture where it says when he saw her faith, he said, woman, uh, you know, you'll be healed. Or when he saw another man's faith, or he was amazed at, at this man's faith. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. But in this case, he says he saw their faith, seeing their faith. Jesus responds to their faith. But I don't think it was just their faith. Can you imagine these men on the roof? They're not near Jesus. They're on the roof, lowering the friend through the roof. It takes great faith to know, hey, we're going to do some damage to this house in order to get this friend in front of Jesus because we know Jesus will heal him. That's faith. And so they lower their friend to Jesus, seeing their faith, watching them, and knowing that all that they went through, this, just this persistence, this tenacity, this boldness, not letting an obstacle keep them from their goal, 
seeing their faith. I think it also includes the man that was on the, the mat, the paralyzed man, because I mean, you know, when you need help, sometimes it's hard for you to ask for help or to admit to someone else helping you out. You're like, I, you don't want to admit that there's a need, and no, I'm fine, just whatever. He had to submit to that. He had to agree at some point, say, all right, fine, carry me. And then there's that trip up the ladder on the house. Come on, y'all. I'd be nervous a little bit, right? I mean, what if you drop, I'm already paralyzed. What if you drop me and break my neck? And I'm, I mean, you know, there's just all these things that you think about. So it required a little faith on his part, too. And I think Jesus seeing their faith combined, the man on the mat, the men that are lowering him from the roof, it says, seeing their faith, Jesus said, my child, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's a kind of a problem if you're in the room and you're a Pharisee or a teacher of the law. What they probably expected him to say was, my son, your sickness is healed, you're healed, you get up, go walk. But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Verse 6 says, but some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sin. See, in, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, they knew that based on the law that someone who blasphemed or committed blasphemy was worthy of death. They were told to take them outside of town and, and all the people would stone them to death that heard that blasphemy. And this is what the teachers of the law knew. They're like, hey, he's just committed blasphemy because he's claiming to be able to forgive sins. Only God can do that. Hello, Jesus, deity, God in the flesh. And so knowing what they're thinking, says Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? I mean, that'd be easy, right? Boom, your sins are forgiven. It's just words. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Which one's easier? Verse 10, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I'm about to prove it to you. Now let me, let me show you how I'm going to prove that I have the authority to forgive sins and to heal someone of their sickness. Here's what he says, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And this man, in this moment, got up. It says he jumped up, he grabbed his mat, and he walked out through the stunned onlookers. Those guys that were standing there, they couldn't get into the room earlier because it was so packed. Now he's standing in the midst of them, and he walks out. After being dropped through a, a roof on a mat, he walks out, and I'm sure their jaws were open. It said stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Wow. Here's one thing that I know that we need to know in this passage of Scripture. I want to talk about these men and their faith, but I, I want to make sure we understand the main reason for this being shared with us in the Word, and that is that we know that Jesus is Lord of sin. He's Lord over sin and sickness. Amen? And Jesus is demonstrating that because he raised this man um, from, this you know, from being paralyzed, he healed him of his disease. He also has the authority, not only over that sickness, but over the sin that he already said, hey, your sins are forgiven. And so you and I need to know today that Jesus still has the authority. Jesus is still Lord over sin and sickness. Do you know that this morning? Are you confident in that this morning? And as I said, if we are really confident Absolutely confident that Jesus is still Lord over sin and sickness, able to meet needs, knowing that there are many people who have needs. How far are we willing to go? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus? I love this example of these four men. 
These four men could have been like everybody else, and they could have just went to the house to hear Jesus speak like everyone else did. They were there to watch a miracle, just to hear him speak, and they could have easily just bypassed this man. But somewhere, somehow, maybe they knew him, and they're like, you know what? We need to get our buddy and take him to Jesus. What motivated them to do that? There was an absolute confidence that Jesus was the answer to his need. And so based on that conviction, based on that absolute confidence, they, they bring this man. And I don't believe there was any doubt in their minds that Jesus was going to do something if they could just get him into the presence of Jesus. I love that confidence. And that confidence gives them a persistence. And by persistence, I mean an unwillingness to yield. And they're, they're like, I'm not going to yield. I'm not going to turn around and go home. We've come too far, baby. We're going to go through with this thing. And so get whatever it is you can to start hacking up that roof. And let's lower our friend in the presence of Jesus. I love their persistence. They were willing to do whatever it would take to get him in front of Jesus. So persistent faith doesn't give up. A persistent faith um, is compassion. It sees others' needs over your own needs. A persistent faith is willing to do whatever it takes to get someone in front of Jesus. A persistent faith understands and has an absolute confidence that Jesus still is powerful he's not changed the miracles that we read in the word of God he's that same Jesus amen you ever just think about that and go whoa in a world that's always changing we have this amazing God who never changes and we read these stories as though they're just old historical cool Bible stories but this is Jesus we're talking about the same yesterday today and forever And the example that we see from these four men that were willing to to lower this paralyzed man in the presence of Jesus is just this persistent faith. And I wonder, do we have that same persistent faith? Do we have that same unyielding faith when we just absolutely know that God can do whatever God wants to do? He's still able. There's nothing too difficult for him. Do we have faith? that persistent faith will we do whatever it takes to bring someone to jesus i believe and i think this is the big idea if you don't get anything else you walk away with this is if we truly believe and fully convinced that jesus is lord over sin and sickness and he is able to do exceeding and abundantly more than we think or ask and that he is the solution to this world's problems then we as followers of christ will do whatever it takes to get those people to Jesus and by those people you're like who are you talking about Shane what are we talking about how many of you know someone in your family in your workplace in your school just your circle of friends that you just discern in your heart they probably are not a believer in Jesus Christ raise your hand if you know somebody I hope everybody in the room knows somebody because the reality is there's many people on the globe who still do not know Jesus right that's a truth it's, it's, it's unchanged And we know those people, and I just wonder, are we willing to do whatever it takes? Are we willing to pray earnestly for And I know some people say, man, I've prayed for a dad or a mom or a brother or sister for years, and I've seen no effect from that. And I just kind of let it fall by the wayside. But are we willing to be persistent and keep on keeping on, not letting anything, um, any obstacle in our way to continue bringing them before the throne of Jesus in prayer? That's persistent faith. And that's whatever it takes. Or maybe you know someone who is a follower of Christ and they're just going through a very difficult situation. You know, as Christians, we will experience some down times. Agreed? Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. 
but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so we know many people who need to be brought into the presence of Jesus that are going through a really struggle uh, right now. Maybe they're going through a broken marriage, a very hard, uh, difficult time, a, a sickness, and we're like, man, I just need to be intentional. And I believe that God's able to meet their need. I believe he's able to do it. I'm just crazy enough to believe that God can still do cool stuff. And am I willing to be persistent enough and do whatever it takes to bring them before the presence of God? Am I willing to be his hands and his feet and to continue to bring them um, in his presence through my actions and my speech? In other words, am I willing to say, hey, God, use me. If they're looking at me and they're going to see you through me, then use me in a way. Let my, uh, my conduct, let me demonstrate the love of Christ in my actions and my speech. Can I ask you a question? Who do you know that needs Jesus? And I think that list could be pretty big, couldn't it? Whether it's someone that is not in a right relationship with God through the gospel or whether it's someone who's just really going through a difficult time in life right now and just needs Jesus in the middle of their need, do you know somebody? Here's what I want to challenge you with today as I wrap it up. I want to challenge you to ask God to show you someone. Now, no, no, don't sweat. I know some of you are freaking out. You're like, oh, man, he's fixing to have me go preach the gospel to him. No, no, I'm not going to have you do that yet unless God leads you to and equips you to. I'm just simply saying, God, would you show me somebody who needs you? Would you reveal to me someone in my family, in my work group, or in my school, or in my circle of friends that just needs you? And maybe it's a relationship through the gospel, or maybe it's just a, man, they really need you right now in their marriage. They really need you right now in their, their financial situation, their health situation. God, they need you, and I still believe you're able. And so ask him to reveal to you someone that you can begin to focus on. And I'm going to ask you to do something. Write it down on a piece of paper, not for everybody else to see, but just for you. It can go in your Bible. It can go in your wallet, your purse, but just something, somewhere to remind you of someone that he's laid on your heart that needs Jesus. And then I'm going to ask you to do um, these things. Commit to praying for them with persistence. You know, prayer is powerful. You know, sometimes we pray and God just answers it quickly. And that's so cool, isn't it? You're, man, I was just praying for that. And look what God did. How cool is that? I love those kind of prayers. But sometimes the prayers feel like they're just hitting a, a ceiling above us and they don't go anywhere beyond that. Amen? Sometimes you pray and you're burdened and you're crying out before God and you just don't see the answers come quickly. And that's when it requires persistence. That's when we need to be able to do whatever it takes in order to bring them before him in prayer. Are we committed to praying for them? Be persistent in prayer. Never, ever, ever give up. I can promise you I am so grateful for the people that invested in my life before I was a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for a mom that never stopped praying. I'm thankful for a good friend in, in J.C. Patton that was my, my dad's, my best friend's dad that, that knew uh, this young man over there close to the church that was skipping out like he always did and, and he just had enough compassion and love for me and knew that I needed Jesus, that he was willing to come to my house and knock on the door and say, Shane, I want to talk to you for a moment. And I'm thinking, yeah, the weather, no, 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 it got much deeper, much quicker, quicker than that. And I'm a follower of Jesus Christ today because somebody saw a need and they came and knocked on my door. And I'm so grateful for that. 
So commit to praying for them with persistence. Don't, don't give up. Just keep on keeping on no matter what obstacles are there. And number two is if you have the opportunity, invite them to church. Now, they may already be involved in the church as a follower of Christ, um, and I don't want you to draw them away from their church, but if you know someone and they're just going through a very difficult situation in life and you know that they don't have a church home, or maybe you ask them, hey, do you have a church home? No, I don't. Man, I would love for you to join me at my church. Do you trust us enough to show hospitality, hospitality, love, and compassion to whoever comes to the door? I hope so. And so I, your, your part would be just like, God, if they need you, I want to bring them to you. I want to get them in a place that's going to be conducive for them hearing from you and, and, and a life change. And so invite them to church. You know what I know about in, invitations? Is most people that, that will show up at church will show up because of a personal invitation more times than if we just put a bunch of radio spots or TV spots or billboards. I mean, people hear those, they see them, but they will respond more likely to a personal invitation if you invite them. Hey, just I'd love for you to come to church and be my guest. Amen? And invite them to church. I promise I won't try to scare them too bad. And lastly, I would say this. Whoever it is that God puts in your, in your heart and, and on your mind, um, this is so critical because we live in a world that's jaded when it comes to Christianity. Would you agree with that statement? And we've, we've seen some bad examples of Christianity and Christian behavior and actions and speech. And so the, the, the temptation is those that are, that are in need of help. I mean, they may know that they need help, but then we start talking to them and we're like going, you're just one of those Christians. You're a hypocrite because you don't live the life that you proclaim and so this is so critical and so key, I think, is um, when we bring someone before Jesus is to demonstrate the love of Christ in our speech and our actions. And what I mean by that is, like, especially in the family unit, you've got someone that, man, you just know they need Christ, and you've been lifting them up, you've been praying for them, and you've been doing everything you know, and you just give up, and you lose your cool with them, and you start to talk differently to them, you start to treat them differently, you start to speak to them in a different way. I'm saying demonstrate in your lives, in your actions, in your speech, the love of Christ to those that need Jesus. And keep on keeping on. What we see is that these four men, their, their faith, their persistent faith was rewarded in this man walking out of that house, a healed man. Amen? Do you believe that Jesus is still Lord? Do you still believe that he has absolute authority? over all things. And if Jesus is still Lord over sin and sickness, and I, and I just believe that, I'm confident of that, the question then is, is am I willing to do whatever it takes to bring people into his presence? Because he'll do the rest, amen? And that's the good news. He's just good at that stuff. And, and so I just want to challenge you as you leave this place today, as, as you just pray, God, show me Show me, put someone in my heart, in my head, and be intentional at, and being persistent in lifting them up before God. Be, be intentional to, to make those connections and maybe invite them or to bring up spiritual conversations or be really careful in your conduct and your speech to demonstrate the love of Christ there and just see what God can do. You know what the cool testimonies are? I love being able to see a, a child baptized. It blesses my heart. But I also love to see someone who, who looks like, man, they've been walking this world for, for a long, long time, and they come to Christ, and they get baptized. There's just something about that that just pumps me up. Amen? God still can, right? He still can. So I would encourage you to ask him to give you a, a burden for people and to put on your heart this, this desire to be just persistent towards those that need 
in Jesus? If you truly believe it, are you willing to do whatever it takes? And maybe you're here today and you identify more with the man that's on the mat. And you're not in a right relationship with God the Father and you recognize your need for him. I wanted to tell you the most important thing that you need to know today is that Jesus still can forgive sins. And he's no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are or what you did even last night. God's grace is abundant. His mercy is abundant for those who trust in him. And if you're here today and you don't know him, I want you to know he loves you. And he wants you to know him. You just have to repent of your sins and believe in the gospel and follow him and obey him. Amen? If that's you today, I would encourage you. Um, when we dismiss the service, if you want to come forward for prayer, you have questions, I'd love to be able to, to visit with you. Or, or maybe you're here today and you just got a heavy burden. Maybe you're, you're like, I identify with a man on the mat. And, man, I need some Jesus right now in my marriage. I, I need some Jesus right now in, in this work situation I got going on or a big life change. I need, I need Jesus. Can I just encourage you this morning and remind you to recognize that Jesus is still able and Jesus is still, he still can. He still can. He still moves mountains, right? He still opens eyes. He still heals broken hearts. He still reconciles and just respond to him in faith. Jesus if you can. Do you know many times in scriptures, that's what one guy says, Jesus, if you can. Jesus, if you can. We know from the, the, the scriptures that we have in front of us that he can. Amen? Recognize that Jesus is still able. Respond to him in faith. And don't shut out the friends that might be around you, that might be like those four friends that said, hey, I need to I need to bring you into the presence of Jesus. You need some Jesus, and, and I want to be there to, to escort you or to help you however I can. Don't, don't shut them out because God has a way of using people, right? We're his hands and his feet. And if there's still people that need to know Jesus and we're still on mission, we, we're not, it's like, okay, oh, I didn't see COVID coming. And so COVID happened, and so everything's on pause. No, it hasn't changed. We still make disciples, amen? We're still the hands and the feet of Jesus, and so there's still work to be done. And so if we truly believe that he's not changed and he's able, fully convinced that he's still able, then will we do whatever it takes? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus? See, he'll do his part. Are we willing to do ours? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for the conviction that you bring to me uh, reading this and seeing this example of these four men willing to go to extreme measures in order to get one person in front of your son, Jesus, and to see and to witness his response to that faith, that he's seeing their faith. The man walked out of there no longer crippled. Father, I know that there are many people in our community uh, that don't know you. They're not in a right relationship with you. And my, my, my heart is, Lord, that we would have a burden for those people, that we wouldn't just ignore it or it's like, oh, well, they're over there, we're over here. But, God, we would have a burden for those people that are not in a right relationship with you. And, Father, that we would commit to prayer, uh, bringing them before you, that you would just put in their path, everywhere they turn, an opportunity for them to hear the gospel and to be confronted with a holy, loving, merciful God. And they would turn to you in faith and trust you Lord, for, for eternal life. God, I pray that you would give us that passion for people to bring them before you with, with a persistent faith, knowing, Father, that you're able to heal their, their sickness and their sin.
for those of us that maybe we just get so busy and wrapped up in life and we get overwhelmed with our own stuff but we don't see the needs around us, would you uh, put on us a conviction to, to see other people that might need uh, the encouragement that comes from your body, which is the church? Would you help us to recognize our role in the body of Christ, the hands and the feet, your ambassadors, salt, the light. Lord, would you help us to realize um, our role and would you instill in us a confidence. Lord, we, we sing the songs, we read the scriptures and we, we say with our mouths that Lord, we believe that you're able. Father, I pray that you would just build within us a, a confidence, an absolute confidence that you can. Lord, as a result of that confidence, would you give us that tenacity, uh, Lord, that, that persistence to continue to bring people before you, knowing that you're able to do exceeding and abundantly more than we think or ask. Lord, you're still able, and we give you all the glory for that. We thank you. Um, we thank you, Lord, that we can trust you with what we bring to you. And so, Lord, would you please just encourage, equip us, inspire us today to live on mission as we leave this place, realizing that we're not dismissed, uh, but, Lord, that we are going out on mission. Open our eyes to the opportunities around us. I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.